Welcome to the Fulfilled Podcast. The podcast designed to spark fundraising inspiration for your nonprofit through thought-provoking interviews with world-leading fundraising experts. Fulfilled brings a unique interview style approach where we ask the most important questions of our expert guests to help nonprofits excel in their fundraising efforts. Feel inspired and feel fulfilled with knowledge so your nonprofit can continue to make a positive impact and create change for a better world. Hi everyone, Jake here from Fulfilled. Today I'm excited to be talking all things digital with digital storytelling strategist and author and the founder of Nonprofit Social Media Summit, Julia Campbell. Julia, welcome. Thanks, Jake. I'm very excited to be here. Tell us about the beginning of your fundraising career uh, and what were some key lessons you learned in those early years? Well, I started my fundraising career after I got back from the Peace Corps. So I, I served in the Peace Corps for two years. I'd probably my fundraising career actually started in college now that I think about it because I had internships and I'd worked with several nonprofits in college because I've always been interested in issues of social justice and activism and women's rights and things like that. So it just made sense to me to do those, you know, have those internships. And then I, when I went into the Peace Corps, served for two years, I was a health relay, which means I basically created public awareness campaigns around public health issues. So that was kind of my marketing and storytelling career started there. But when I came home, I was looking for a job that would really fulfill me. I wanted to continue writing. I'm a journalist by trade. That's what I studied. And I'm just very passionate about, like I said, you know, social justice issues. So I took a job actually at the African Presidential Center at Boston University. And that is where I cut my teeth on grant writing, corporate sponsorships, individual giving, email marketing, like you name it. That's, that's really where I started. And then since then, I've worked in small, really community-based organizations. I've worked at other colleges. I've worked in everything from domestic violence to food insecurity to early childhood education. Um, and there's always a group of people that are passionate about every cause. That's kind of what I found in my in my work. Jeez, it sounds like you've done a lot in there. And as you even mentioned, uh, two years serving for Peace Corps as a volunteer, that's incredible. So how did all this lead you into helping nonprofits with their digital strategies? Well, when I, when I was in the Peace Corps in Senegal, that was 2000, 2002. And I worked with a lot of NGOs on partnerships. And what I discovered was that there were certain principles of communication that are pretty evergreen. But then when I came home with the explosion of digital technologies and social media and like the ubiquity of email marketing and mobile phones, I found that these strategies had to be adapted and molded a little bit for the digital age, but they're still pretty evergreen. Um, you know, things like you still have to really know your audience. You have, they have to know, like, and trust you. When I was in Africa, if people didn't know, like, and trust me, I'm certainly not going to convince them to use a malaria net, right. Or wash their hands or, um, you know, take a prenatal vitamin, get vaccinated, whatever it was that I was campaign I was pushing at the time. So the same principles really do apply, 
but I, I just have always wanted to really encourage, especially small organizations to know that they can do this. It might seem scary. It might seem overwhelming. It might really seem like there's a shiny new tool coming up every single moment and you have to be everywhere at once. But if you are strategic and if you focus and streamline what you're doing and focus on the core things that matters, which is telling great stories, connecting with your audience, connecting with your donors. If you focus on that and you use digital tools to augment that, then you won't be reinventing the wheel. You won't be spinning your wheels all the time. So when I, you know, when I was a fundraiser, I, I did the nine to five, or I should say probably like nine to eight most days, <laughs> working in small organizations, doing events and grants and donor relations and all of that stuff. But I was laid off from my last job, the last time I had an office job, when I was eight months pregnant, actually with my daughter. So that experience really changed how I felt about work and my entire career is based on having a digital presence. It's based on building these relationships digitally with my audience. I mean, my audience is all over the world and that wouldn't be possible without digital technologies. Oh, that's great. And well, not great for part of that, but um, right. So, so. And it's the best thing that ever happened. Everyone that has been laid off and then started their own business always says it's the best thing. It's so cliche, but I would never have gone off on my own if I hadn't been kind of pushed out of the nest a little bit. When you look back at your career as an in-house fundraiser, what stands out as one of your most successful campaigns to be part of and why was it successful? Wow. Well, I, I was thinking about this question and I have to choose one of the campaigns that I worked on with um, a domestic violence shelter that I worked for. I was a director of development and marketing that I worked for in um, Virginia. And I'm not from Virginia, but my husband and I had moved there so he could go to grad school. And then I ended up going to grad school as well. But I'm was from, you know, I'm from Boston. And if you're not familiar, like Boston is very different. Massachusetts, the state is very different from the state of Virginia. In Virginia, it's a little bit slower. It's a little bit more, it's a lot more friendly. Um, it's a little bit more formal and you can't just sort of barge into someone's office and say, this is what we're going to do. You really have to like ease into it. And, um, it takes some time to really build up that trust. So I wanted to do a mother's day campaign and send out a mailing and send out an email and do all of these events. And I, I really had this campaign in my mind and I remember I was talking with one of the program officers because I was trying to get stories from the program officers of women that had gone through the program that I could talk to or, or use their story in the email. And she just said to me, you know, slow down, like slow your roll a little bit. We have to do a lot of work. It, you know, you have to actually spend some time with these women and some time in the shelter and some time in the support groups. So I spent about a month doing just, you know, research as I should have done as a development and marketing director. But that campaign, we were a pretty small organization. I mean, the budget was $10 million when I was there. Um, and that campaign raised about $250,000, which for us was huge, especially because they had never done a storytelling campaign, like fundraising campaign before. They'd always relied on data and statistics and their annual report and, you know, a letter from the executive director. So 
I like to think I helped shift the culture there a little bit and change their perspective on the power of storytelling. So we did raise a ton of money, but I also I also helped shift kind of the perspective on multi-channel, you know, not just using direct mail, which is powerful, but we use social media. This was before the Facebook donate button, um, but we used social media, we used email, we used phone calls, we used events, we used direct mail and we used newsletters, we used all of it. So it, I think it, um, I think it really, really helped the organization see the power of these tools and also the power of storytelling. Well, let's dive right into your digital storytelling experience here. So give us an overview of how fundraisers can be better storytellers for their cause and how does digital play a role in the distribution of these stories? So I, when I wrote my first book, it's called Storytelling in the Digital Age. And uh, the majority of it, the first two parts are all on collecting and crafting stories. So having an eye for a story, you know, thinking like a journalist, what is the hook? What is the angle? What is interesting? And creating a strategy around collecting and then crafting the story. So those are the first two pieces. You have to, of course, have a story to collect or write, or you don't have to have the person's name, but it has to be some kind of like a seed of an idea. And then the second phase is to craft the story, depending on where you're going to share it. So Andy Goodman of the Goodman Center, Goodman Center is uh, a storytelling think tank where I live. They're absolutely incredible. But he says the story is the gold and then you mold it based on where, what you want to create. So if you want to create a watch or a necklace or a ring, that's how you mold it. And the same goes with your story. You've got this raw clay. So what are you going to do with it? Are you sharing it on social? Are you sharing it on email? Are you sharing it in a direct mail piece? Maybe you're repurposing it to share across all of the channels, which I think is the best strategy. So phase two is really how are you crafting it and telling it in a compelling way? And then the third phase is the distribution and the sharing. And that's where digital comes in. Now on digital we have a split second to grab someone's attention, especially on social media, because we're scrolling. You've got to make someone stop the scroll, or you've got to get someone to open the email, or even get someone to open the letter, you know, if you're sending out a direct mail appeal. So for fundraisers, we really have to start thinking like marketers a little bit, what's going to capture attention, what's going to be provocative, what's going to peak curiosity and get someone to stop scrolling and actually click on it or actually read it. So the challenge becomes, how do we tell these fantastic stories, but in a way that works for digital? Um, And that's really what I talk about in the book, but I talk about how to share them on your website, your blog, your email, and your social media, because you need a strategy for each of those four channels. Are there any tips that you can share of creating a culture of storytelling within a nonprofit organization? Yes. Yes. This, this is something that I would say a hundred percent of my clients struggle with. (laughs) So my clients usually come to me or my students, if they're in my course and say, wow, I read your book or I took your course. I took your webinar. I'm on board. I love all of your ideas, but how do I get my boss? to buy in or how do I get the board to actually invest 
in any kind of digital storytelling software or photography or videography. And I really encourage people if they're running into this struggle to create what I call like the five point plan. So it's just a really brief one page with the who, what, when, where, and why. So there's five points to this plan. So then you're not going to your board and just saying, oh, we got to do more storytelling because they don't know what that means. They don't know what that looks like. They don't know how much time it's going to take. They don't know how much money it's going to take. Is it going to take you away from other projects? Who's going to work on it? So if you have the five point plan and you can answer all the questions, the who, what, when, where, why, and then give them examples, that always works. So when you're trying to express the need for digital storytelling at your organization, show them what you're talking about. Say, here's a screenshot from Instagram of another organization in our industry that's doing this. And I think we could easily emulate this. Or here's a fantastic video on Twitter that I saw that from another organization, I think we could do this and here's how. So what, what happens is when you're trying to get buy-in, when you're trying to build a culture, you know what you mean. You have the curse of knowledge. You know what you're talking about and you can see it in your head, but other people can't. So as many examples as you can give. The other piece of this puzzle is to constantly be talking about what it means. So bringing it up at staff meetings, having lunch and learns, maybe having a training for everyone at the organization and encouraging people to share their own stories or talk about their own memories at orientations and other gatherings, even if they're virtual, like Zoom happy hours, whatever it is that you do at your work, but really trying to build that, build that knowledge that stories are what connect us. Like our brains are hardwired to remember stories. And of course, you're going to connect more with a coworker when you know a little bit about their story and a little bit about their personal life. So of course, it just is going to translate better into better fundraising. Once you've got that buy-in from the board or leadership team mm-hmm. or whoever needs to get on board with it, um, what goes into the process from start to finish when creating digital storytelling campaigns? I love that. I love thinking about it as a campaign because, of course, you want to bake it into everything that you're doing year-round, but that can be a little bit overwhelming at first. So if you've never dipped your toes into these waters, I do recommend a campaign. Now, a campaign has a start and a finish, right? So a campaign, it has, you know, it starts on May 12th and ends on June 12th, whatever it might be. Maybe it's a week, maybe it's Giving Tuesday, it's 24 hours, however long it is. So first of all, pick a date, but there's three, there's also three phases of a campaign. One is the preparation and planning. The second is the execution and implementation. And the third piece is the follow-up and acknowledgement and, you know, building on that momentum. So in the first phase, that's when you're going to do the collecting and the crafting, the brainstorming, writing down every single story that you could share, also doing the who, what, when, where, why exercise. You know, why are we doing this? What is the goal that we're hoping to achieve? Is it for fundraising purposes? Is it for marketing purposes, awareness, advocacy? Why are we doing this campaign? And that's going to help you, help inform you as to the kinds of stories that you want to be collecting, because you could be collecting any story that you want, but if you know that you're going to be doing an advocacy advocacy campaign, you know, then that's a little bit different. You know, you have to um, probably collect some more specific stories around the issue. So 
once you've done your brainstorming and your planning, make a list of all the assets that you want to create. I mean, you can go as big as you want. You can go as small as you want. You can just run it on Instagram. You could run it on Instagram and Twitter and email. So just write down all of the assets everywhere you're going to share it. And then during the execution, you just want to make sure that you're using visuals, especially on digital. So video, um, photos, you can do Instagram stories, you could do a Facebook live, you could do an on-demand video recorded. These videos could be 10 seconds, 20 seconds. So the execution is very important because you want to make sure you're building momentum and creating buzz and generating excitement. And then the follow-up phase is really important. And I don't think organizations do as good a job on this phase. I see a lot of excitement around year end. And then January, it's sort of like, oh, we have some thank, thank you letters out. or So figure out how you're going to follow up with the new donors that you've acquired or follow up with your storytellers. You want to make sure you're thanking them for their time. So have a plan in place for that third phase. So I know that's a lot of information, but I always think it's easier to break things up into phases because it's trying to look at the forest for the trees is really is difficult for me, especially I think for a lot of people. How can fundraisers be more strategic in their approach in terms of research and analysis? Well, first of all, they should be doing it. So research and analysis, I mean, those are absolutely key pieces of any kind of fundraising campaign, any kind of fundraising plan. You need to absolutely understand who you're talking to and what they wanna hear from you. So what resonates with them? What kind of stories are they interested in? And then especially on digital, when you're doing research, you can really look at what's working. So are these emails being opened? What subject lines work the best? Is this kind of post working really well on Facebook for us and why? Um, and that's the only way you're going to get strategic. So I think that we throw around the word strategy a lot. And strategy is not, a strategy is not getting on Twitter. That's not a strategy. That's a tactic, right? A strategy is not, I'm going to post an Instagram story. No, that's a tactic, right? So these are tools. A strategy is the why. What are we hoping to achieve? What's our goal? What are our objectives? And then thinking thoughtfully around who we're trying to attract, who do we need to attract to accomplish this goal? And then you plug in the tools and the tactics. So the word strategy does get thrown around a lot, but it's only a strategy if you actually know where you're trying to go. It's not like the left turns and the right turns that you're taking. It's the destination of where you want to go and how you're going to get there. Can you think of any powerful tools that uh, fundraisers should be using to do this? Um, I've got a ton. Okay. So for social media management, I really like Hootsuite um, and Buffer. They both have nonprofit discounts. Those platforms are great for scheduling out some content and man it like you can use a dashboard and you can monitor hashtags and trending topics, monitor retweets and mentions and all of that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like your one-stop dashboard. Another one that I like, but I know that it can be prohibitively expensive for nonprofits is called Sprout Social, but they also have a 50% nonprofit discount. 
I think you have to email them, but just Google it. But Sprout Social is your literal one-stop social media management and measurement portal. So you can run reports every month. So you can actually just plug in all of your accounts. And rather than going to each individual platform and looking at your insights, it will pull in all that information for you. And then you can create this beautiful little report for your supervisor. Another tool that I can't live without is Canva, which is C-A-N-V-A. Once again, they have a nonprofit discount. That's my graphic design go-to tool, my visual tool. You can put text overlay on photos. You can create animated GIFs. You can actually even edit video now. That's, I couldn't live without Canva. I probably use Canva every single day. And what are my other tools? And then a video tool that I really, that I really like is called Animoto. And what Animoto does, and also all of these have nonprofit discounts. Animoto is an app on your phone, but it's also on your desktop. And it's like video for dummies. You just put in a bunch of video clips and it will make them look all nice. And then you can do some fun music or put some stickers or put some text overlay. And I worked with my mom on a submission that she did for an art show. Um, and she, we didn't have time to like hire a videographer and we just did it on my smartphone and put it in Animoto and like, you know, zhuzhed it a little bit through some music in there. And it probably took about two hours, but I mean, still that's not at the end of the day, she wanted it perfect. I probably wouldn't have spent that much time on it, but it really is such a fantastic tool for those of us that don't have Adobe Premiere or Camtasia or, you know, I don't know how to edit a video. Like I wouldn't, I'd have to spend days learning how to edit a video. So I just am really a big fan of those kind of apps. There's so many out there. Talking about strategy before, I, I, from experience, I know uh, being in a fundraising team where fundraisers just don't know what to do with their blog. I mean, how should fundraisers be blogging more strategically? So I'm very conflicted about blogging. I've had a blog for 10 years, blogged once a week. And I actually think right now it's, it's difficult to get traction in the blogging space. So if you have a blog and that's how, like, that's how I think I like to write. I also think you should explore starting a podcast. So if you have enough content to write a blog, you have enough content to start a podcast and nonprofits have started podcasts. That's like the new big trendy thing now that they're doing. But when I say podcast, I don't want you to think it has to be an hour episode. I've seen nonprofit podcasts with 15 minute episodes, right? 10 minute, 15 minute episodes. Because what, what we need to focus on, we need to figure out where people are and we need to reach them on as many channels as they are on. So if you do have that blog content, I would consider just taking out your mic or taking out your laptop, recording it into an audio file, and then, you know, putting it on Spotify, putting it on whatever, you know, podcast, um, putting it on iTunes. Um, but in terms of blogging, I just feel like I, I feel like I would just blog every day if I could. I, I love Seth Godin. He has a blog that he sends every day. I think that shorter is better, but also being very tactical. So if you can mix up your news and announcements with some how-to posts or top 10 things to know about elder abuse or um, top five ways. I know when, when I worked at the shelter, 
and wrote that blog. It was, you know, top five ways to talk to a friend that you think might be being abused, you know, top 10 reasons why women don't leave. Like try to um, be strategic in looking up what people are searching on. So what keywords are they using? What topics do they always come to you? What are your most frequently asked questions? And what are the myths and misconceptions and stereotypes that you want to address and you want to dispel? So we tend to get in our heads and say, oh, I really want to write a blog post about that, but do a little bit more research to see, is your audience actually interested in that topic? And is this something that they want to see from you? And what advice do you generally give nonprofit when it comes to better execution of their email campaigns? And how can they build up their email lists with more potential donors? I love this. So email marketing is not something that I have, you know, written a book on, but I absolutely think that it is a vital piece of the puzzle. So when I teach digital storytelling, I always teach like the internet hierarchy of needs and your website is your number one hub. It's your number one asset you need and email is your number two. So we tend to think, oh, we hate email. Email is dead. But the reality is it's not. It's just a lot of the email out there is really bad. So what I recommend, I recommend several things and I actually wrote them down. So one, the first one is send emails more frequently. Okay. If you email me once a quarter and then I delete it, I haven't heard from you for half a year. And what drives me crazy are organizations that send me 50 emails on giving Tuesday or 50 emails at year end. And then I never hear from them for the rest of the year. So don't just think of email as a transactional tool. Think of it as a relational tool, like building a relationship with people. So send emails more frequently, but be brief. So send brief emails more frequently and be human. Have them be from a person. Have them be written as if your executive director sat down and just opened up a, you know, a Google Doc and started typing. Have it be human and personable and in a friendly and kind of like colloquial, casual tone. Because that is what makes that connection on email. We're, we don't want any more spam. We don't want any more sales emails. We want stories. We want visuals. And we want to know that our connection and our donation has made a difference. So be brief, be frequent, be visual, be human. Make sure that they're optimized for mobile devices. Make sure that there aren't too many calls to action in your email. So every email should have a purpose. You shouldn't just send an email because you feel like you need to send one. So it should have a purpose. What do you want them to do? Maybe it is click onto your blog. Maybe it's watch a video. Maybe it's read our story and learn more about our, you know, our process and our work. It doesn't have to be make a donation. And I wouldn't recommend asking people for a donation in every email. So some of my favorite emails that I receive are stories. There's like a weekly patient story or um, a weekly story. I follow an organization called Plumber Youth Promise and they send stories of the kids that are in foster care and they send stories of the foster families that they work with. I mean, really compelling and really great stories. And Amira Incorporated, one of my favorites, they save people from sex trafficking and they tell their stories in emails and it's always written from the executive director. So think about the emails that you like to read, print them out, put them in a Google Drive, 
Think about what other nonprofits are doing that you can adapt and emulate. In terms of uh, attracting new donors, you do wanna make sure that your email signup link is everywhere. So there's a pop-up box on your website, you've got it all over your website, you have your email signup link in all of your social media bios. If you're on YouTube, put your email signup link in the caption. If you're on LinkedIn, make sure it's in your bio, Facebook about section, Twitter in your bio, Instagram in your bio. And then every once in a while, kind of have an email list building campaign where you're not asking someone for their email every other post, but maybe you're doing a week where you're doing an email list drive and you're trying to do a really big push. So use all of those, you know, use all of those different platforms to build your email list because that's really what's gonna, that's really what's going to sustain your organization. And you can bring your email list with you anywhere you want. You can't bring your Facebook fans with you wherever you want. So I think email is incredibly, uh, an incredibly valuable tool. You've touched on it a few times around video. You've also uh, recommended the, um, the video editing tool as well. And how should fundraisers be utilizing videos to tell better stories? So there's two types of video that nonprofits should be using. One is your spontaneous kind of off the cuff video, your Instagram stories, your Facebook lives. And the second is that, you know, maybe a little bit more highly produced and edited kind of video that's that's going to show, showcase your story or maybe you have a quote or a little one minute testimonial from a client, something like that. So I think you need a good mix um, because if we look at the explosive popularity of TikTok and Snapchat and especially the younger generations, they it's all video, all video, all day long. That's all they watch. That's all they do. And older generations tend to like video as well. So it go, you know, it's the people in the middle. We all like video. Everyone likes video. It's the most engaged type of content on social media. So I think that having a strategy for combining the spontaneous kind of off the cuff moments behind the scenes, raw footage with the little bit more planned out, maybe scripted kind of videos. Like you have to have a plan for both, but you should absolutely make video a huge piece of your fundraising strategy. Um, especially when you are in a fundraising campaign, because that is going to humanize the people that you're serving. It's going to really make a deeper connection with your donors, you know, send thank you videos. That's another great way to use video. So what I recommend is look at your calendar for the year or for the next six months and pick out dates where you can either take video or share video. So if you know you're having a big event, if you're able to gather in person, you know you're having an event, that's a fantastic place to share an Instagram story or maybe take a video. If you know you're having a big gala, if you know you're having um, a big appeal coming up, um, just think about the places where video could fit in and really think about how you can use it strategically, not just to you know do marketing and promotion, but to really build that relationship with your donors and deepen and strengthen those bonds with your supporters. I can hear the passion that you have for social media coming through. And so I've got to ask it, but what tips can you share when using social media to acquire new donors? So, oh, social media. So social media, I, you can love it or hate it. Now, 
I have, do have a love-hate relationship with it, but we can't ignore the fact that it has completely revolutionized human communication, right? So it represents a revolution on par with like the industrial revolution. It's changed everything. It's changed our daily life. It's changed the way we get the news, the way we connect with friends and family, the way we do research. And what I like about it is also kind of what I don't like about it. What I like about it is that we use it to express our identity and to um, express our views on the things we care about. So nonprofits need to be leveraging this, right? So we need to be creating content that is interesting and relevant and timely and shareable for our audience. So we always have to be thinking about our audience first. What do they want? Why do they like us? What makes them passionate about this cause? And what really resonates with them? What are the messages that really resonate with them? And we do have to get out of our little comfort zone and be a little bit provocative and ask questions and comment on things and encourage people to stand up for what they believe in. That's the benefit. And the benefit also is if you do have that engaged community, you can mobilize them to bring in other members of their network. So other like-minded people. And that's the best way to acquire new donors is from your existing donors. Because what you don't wanna do is go on Facebook and say, okay, I'm gonna spend $100 and send this ad out to complete strangers. That doesn't, it just doesn't work. It's best to cultivate the people that know you and love you and have raised their hand and might be interested in helping you spread that word. So they function as you know, your ambassadors or your advocates. And that is the power of social media is that social graph where you never know who you're connected to and you don't know who your supporters are connected to and you never know who you might reach. But you know, you, social media for donor acquisition, it sounds so dry. I recommend focusing a lot more on community building. And then when you do have that ask, people are much more likely to give. Yeah, and we've talked about it earlier as well around doing the research and analysis, but you've shared your experience around um, conducting social media audits. I mean, how can fundraisers audit their social media platforms? Yeah, well, I have a blog post that I can send to you to link to that gives you a step-by-step guide to, uh, to auditing um, social media, your social media sites. So the first thing is to do an inventory. You want to write down every single platform that you're using. And I know some organizations have multiple Facebook pages, multiple Instagram accounts, write them all down. And then I have a series of questions in the audit that I ask, but you know, usually the long and short of it is, are they helping you reach your goal? So what is your goal for using Instagram? You know, you have to be really clear. Why are you on this platform as opposed to another one? What is Instagram going to get you that Facebook isn't? Who are you trying to reach? And is this platform actually helping you do those things? Are you reaching these people and are you accomplishing your goal? And also, how do you feel at the end of the day? So I don't think we talk enough about how social media managers and fundraisers are stressed out constantly and overwhelmed. And they're thinking, oh, I've got to get this tweet out. Oh, I've got to get, if things are not helping push the needle, if things are not helping you raise money, cultivate donors, accomplish what you're trying to accomplish, 
then I give you permission to break up with any platform that is not working. So I think really being able to adequately assess what you've done, what you're doing, and then where you're going, it's absolutely, it's incredibly important. So if you've never done an audit, it's, an audit isn't something you have to do very frequently, but if you've never done one, I do recommend sitting down and really asking the tough questions. You know, do we need to be on Pinterest? I mean, I don't, I don't know, maybe you do, but do we need to, you know, maybe we need to blog more frequently. Maybe we need to send email more frequently. So it's going to show you where the holes are and where the gaps are. And then also where you can kind of streamline and jettison some things. What mistakes do you commonly see nonprofit organizations making with their digital storytelling? Not knowing what a story is. <laughs> so thinking that they can just put anything up there and it's a story. A story has to have conflict. You can have a story in a tweet. It's definitely possible. You can have a story in six words. Like what is that famous six word story that Hemingway wrote? Baby shoes for sale, never worn. It's a story in six words. So there are exercises on how to tell a really succinct story like that. But a story has to have a character, it has to have conflict, and there has to be stakes involved. So it can't be, Julia came to the food bank. Julia got some food. Julia left. No, that's not, that's not a story. That's a recounting of things that happened. And that's what we do a lot of the time. There's no, there's no intrigue. There's no stakes. I'm not rooting for Julia because I don't know anything about her. Um, so it's, I think that's where we need to we need to read more. We need to look at some of the best stories that we're seeing in the news, like really great storytelling. We need to watch Pixar movies. Those are the best in terms of storytelling, but really focus on honing our stories. The other thing is that we assume our stories are interesting because we're interested in it and we're passionate about it. You can't assume that. So you have to start the story maybe from the middle or start it with a great quote. There has to be some kind of hook and angle for me, the viewer or the reader to wanna to learn more, to pique my curiosity. So the curse of knowledge is, and the curse of passion, which is what nonprofits have is we're so passionate. We want everyone to know about us. We don't understand why people are not as passionate. That really bogs us down in the muck. I would say a third mistake is focusing on statistics and data. So you can use statistics and data. I think you should because you want to show that this is a problem that needs to be solved. You want to show that you are a responsible recipient of the funds and that you're actually making strides in your work. So you can use data and statistics, but don't rely on them, especially when you're fundraising because humans are not logical animals. We're not, we don't do things because of logic and reason. We do things because of emotion. So getting more emotional in your storytelling, that's absolutely, that needs to happen. Can you share an example of an organization doing amazing storytelling right now through digital and why are they seeing such great results? Well, the one that everyone goes to is Charity Water. Um, Charity Water is amazing. You should follow them on all their platforms. They're innovative. They are always ahead of the game and they're always doing incredible storytelling. So Charity Water obviously is usually always the number one and everyone always talks about them. 
But an organization that I really like, and I talked about them before, they're called Amira, um, A-M-I-R-A-H Incorporated. They're a very small organization and they fight sex trafficking. So they can't share, they can't film the women and the men and the children they help, but they can still tell their story and they still share these great visuals. They're just a little bit, they're graphics. They're not the photo of the person's face. Wonderful storytelling. Best Friends Animal Society, they tell fantastic stories about the owners of the pets that they're getting adopted, about the pets that have been adopted. Um, and then another one I had cited them before, Plumber Youth Promise. That's some a place where um, that's the foster care organization where I live. And um, I think that small organizations are doing a great job. They're just not getting the visibility. They don't have the resources to get it out there. But as long as you are speaking directly to your donor and you know exactly who your donor is and you're laser focused on your donor, then you're going to succeed. So I would check out any of those and I can send you, I can send you those links. Oh, another one, of course, big organization, St. Jude's Hospital here. They do a weekly patient story. So every week I get an email from them. It's the weekly patient story. Not every email has a donate button. Not every email has a call to action other than read the story. And I think that's effective because I don't open that email every week, but I open it enough. I probably open it a couple times a month so that now I'm used to seeing them in my inbox. I trust them. I know they have these great stories to share so that when they do a fundraising campaign, I'm much more likely to open it. And are there any important trends emerging in digital right now that fundraisers should be aware of? One trend that I'm seeing is the huge, huge explosion in live streaming, live streaming fundraising. So not necessarily with a storytelling focus, but certainly for digital fundraisers, we need to pay attention. So I don't even mean Facebook Live, although you can put the donate button on Facebook Live. I mean platforms like Twitch and these big, like they used to be just gaming platforms where you, I guess, would go watch someone play a video game for 24 hours. I never understood the appeal of them, but now they're becoming a lot more mainstream and creators on Twitch and all of these other great live streaming platforms are doing other things. They're doing cooking shows, they're doing, you know, um, art exhibitions. They're doing a lot and they're raising a ton of money for their causes. So the trend that I see is that we are actually losing a little bit of control because these creators have all the control in terms of the live streaming. They have the messaging, they have the audience and they, you know, it's not like we can say to them, have a fundraiser for us. They have to pick us. So now we have to do even more work to be chosen by these kinds of people. So that's a trend that I'm seeing. Um, really only the bigger organizations are being involved in a lot of the live stream campaigns that I've seen over here. But I do think there's power and potential for smaller organizations. And I definitely see a trend towards um, the ephemeral kind of content, the really silly, entertaining kind of content like TikTok and Snapchat. So how can nonprofits fit into that space? Because we tackle such serious topics and it's really difficult to 
make a 10 second TikTok video about domestic violence. Although I think that we should be because we want to be reaching younger audiences. So the challenge for us is how to stay innovative and relevant and timely, but also stay true to our missions. But those are two trends that I'm seeing. Uh, back to you now. So you've led fundraising for organizations in the past. So what made you choose a career pathway of consulting to nonprofits and how did you get started? Wow. Well, I was pushed out of the nest. I had to start. I had to start somewhere. I actually was looking for jobs when I was nine months pregnant. I went on job interviews, which sounds so bizarre to me now, but I had the baby. I had Isabel. She's 11 now. And she was six, you know, I had, I worked with her till about six months. I was home with her looking for full-time jobs and I just couldn't find one that paid anything or was in a field that I was passionate about. So I just kind of pieced together these little like Craigslist jobs, like, you know, five hours here, five hours there, grant writing here. Um, I managed social media platforms for small businesses and organizations for years and then I really started getting into speaking and training and, and doing workshops, which is predominantly what I do now. I do a lot of audits and assessments. I do a lot of campaign planning and you know digital fundraising, campaign, campaign planning. And then I also created this year my first two digital courses, one on storytelling and one on social media so that I could scale a little bit what I was doing because a lot of organizations can't afford to hire a consultant. So I wanted to make it a little more affordable. So I kind of do a little bit of everything, but it's iterated and changed every single year. And next year I actually have some ideas of how I can change some things up and make things even more accessible to more organizations. But I just, I'm just so passionate about getting this information in front of as many nonprofits as possible, as many that need it. Uh, yeah, you're doing wonderful work. And um, you just mentioned it there, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll recap on it as well. So you're an, you're an author, keynote speaker, trainer to these organizations um, in the area of digital storytelling. What is it that fundraisers and nonprofit organizations will come away with after listening to one of your seminars or reading one of your books? Well, they come away with clarity and confidence that they can do it. So when I, when I used to give speeches before I was doing keynotes and do workshops, I threw everything in the kitchen sink into this workshop. I was like, okay, it's 90 minutes. You're going to, every single thing that I've ever known in my life. And I would have 300 slides and it would be very overwhelming. So what I've learned since then is just honing my message down to the absolute nuts and bolts. Like this is what is essential to succeed. And what they come away with is understanding that it's not so much about the shiny tools and the tactics. It's much more about these evergreen strategies that are tried and true and proven that will work, whether it's 2020, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's not, whether it's 50 years from now. So that is, that's what they come away with. And I, my next question was going to be around, um, you know, what are you working on right now and now or in the near future to help nonprofit organizations? But you touched on it before um, that you're starting these courses as well. So tell us a bit more about them. Yes. So the doors right now, as of today, are open for my social media for social good academy, 
that is socialgoodacademy.com. That is a five week live training program for digital fundraisers and social media managers. So what we do is in five weeks, we create a playbook and a calendar um, that you can use for your organization to really help move you forward. So I'm, that starts on September 21st and I'm really excited. Then I have my storytelling program that I launched in the middle of COVID-19 hysteria, which I just was gonna launch it. It actually did really well that I might launch again next year. And that is, that's a five week training program, but entirely on collecting stories, crafting stories, sharing them and creating a culture of storytelling at your organization. And you can find out more at my website. It um, sounds like you're very busy at the moment. And I just wanted to say, we're down to the last question, but I wanted to say thank you, Julia, for coming on for Phil today. Thank you. No, I love this. It's, it's what I love to talk about. So what's your final piece of advice to inspire and fulfill fundraisers to make a positive impact and create change for a better world? Don't give up. Don't stop what you're doing and don't stop communicating. Don't put your head down in the sand and say, I'm not going to do fundraising right now. I'm going to wait until the dust settles. I'm going to wait a month. I'm going to wait here. I'm going to wait until this. No, the dust is never going to settle. We're in a new normal and we need to figure out the next type of normal that we want to create. And as a fundraiser, as a nonprofit professional, you are a huge, huge, huge essential piece of that puzzle. And don't just don't ever forget that, but don't stop doing your work and don't think that your work is not important. Don't undervalue your work. That is the most important piece of advice I can give you.